When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 27th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. There is confusion in Drogheda. Two weeks ago, we learned that the government had signed a contract with the D Hotel to take over the hotel in its entirety so that its 113 rooms would become home to 500 international protection applicants. The loss of the town's only functioning hotel has caused huge concern. The backlash has been such that the government has performed a U-turn and now it says it wants to use just half of the hotel for housing refugees. The other half would continue to operate as a normal hotel. It's a peculiar turnaround because two weeks ago the Minister for Integration said that it would be impossible to do that. The reason the Minister ruled out that option was because he said it would cause child protection issues for the refugees because the plan is to move families into the D. The following week, last week, the same minister, Roderick O'Gorman, said it is in fact possible for the D to become a dual-purpose hotel. We don't know if O'Gorman's U-turn was forced, but we do know that he stated saying the impossible was possible soon after the Taoiseach and other cabinet ministers said that that was what they wanted to happen in Drogheda. Since then, Minister O'Gorman has been in Drogheda, although he managed to navigate his way around the town and bypass the path to this radio station and take the many questions you would like to hear him answering. During his visit, the Minister met with local councillors, he met with the Chamber of Commerce and members of the town's bids committee. He did not meet with the D Hotel. The Minister has not spoken with the D Hotel. Nobody on behalf of the Minister has communicated in any way whatsoever however, with the D Hotel. The D Hotel had agreed to be interviewed on this programme today about this, but earlier this morning, a spokesman for the hotel said they would not be participating in an interview today. They said this is because there is no point in doing an interview today because as far as the D Hotel is concerned, nothing has changed since its last interview with us almost a fortnight ago. They say the department will take over the hotel as an accommodation centre from the 5th of March, as agreed in the contract between the two parties. The D Hotel also says that as far as it is concerned, the D will not become a dual-purpose hotel 
because child protection issues prevent it from becoming a dual-purpose hotel. Let's speak to local Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for being good enough to talk to us about this somewhat confusing situation. It is confusing, is it not? And hard to understand how the Minister and the Government are making proclamations on one hand and nobody is speaking to the hotel on the other hand. Uh, Or indeed, you know, the situation is, Michael, it's entirely unacceptable that Minister Gorman does not go on your radio station. He is the minister uh, responsible for making this decision, obviously without consultation with anybody in in public life or in community or business life in the town. And I think that's the first point I would like to make. So I think he should go on. Uh, I think it's wrong that he isn't. The second point is that I can bring you up to date on what I know is actually what discussions are happening. Mm, please, one, one is that um, the Chamber of Commerce and, and Drogheda Bids Committee uh, requested a meeting with Helen McEntee and that's taking place tonight. I will be at that meeting. It will be an online meeting to talk about the issues. And on Monday, Monday next, excuse me, <coughs> the Taoiseach, uh, Minister Heather Humphreys and Minister O'Gorman, a meeting has been arranged between the elected members of Drogheda Borough Council and also uh, the Chamber of Commerce and the Bids Committee, and that as all of the TDs uh, will be invited, uh, I understand, to the first meeting. I'm not sure if we're invited to the second meeting or not, but I think we'll all get an opportunity to speak directly to the Taoiseach, Minister Corman and Minister Head Humphreys about all of these issues. I agree with you absolutely. There's confusion and there's no clarity. I'm deeply unhappy with that. Absolutely. I was unhappy with the initial decision and uh, I think there are serious issues, obviously, even if they agree to have dual use. And I think at the heart of all of this is a hotel um, that I understand, according to the Chamber of Commerce, has 86% occupancy and is no longer available to the public. And the anger is palpable on the streets of Drogheda and everybody is extremely angry that there was no consultation and that there is no availability excuse me, for people who like to stay in the town centre, be it with business or people working in the hospital on call or indeed ordinary tourists. And this is a huge impact locally. And the government must do what it can to address all those worries and fears uh, based on the uh, decision made by Minister O'Gorman, which was high-handed, which was, in my view, arrogant, and which is, you know, there was no thought put into it at all. Because he didn't speak to all of the because he didn't speak to all of the stakeholders. I I mean, I I, I take it that's the logic for you making that statement. Uh, uh, But surely the same logic applies now uh, that the minister is making proclamations about how the hotel may be used without speaking to all stakeholders. uh, The most significant of them all, the hotel itself. Well, that appears to be the case, but that may. That may not necessarily be the case because sometimes in negotiations you have different uh, strategies being adopted by different two sides, as you know yourself. So I don't know the truth of it, but we'll certainly know. We have a good idea, obviously, uh, today. I only got your call this morning, Michael. I know you you acknowledged that. Uh, mm. I couldn't check it out before I went on the radio. Sure, yeah. Today, and and, and, and you're good enough to take the call because uh, we had been expecting oh, no, to speak to the sure. D Hotel, but they turned around and said, look, we've thrown our hands up. Uh, we don't really see any point in it. Uh, our position is yeah. exactly the same as it was two weeks ago. We haven't changed our position. Sure. We've signed a contract with the government. We're going ahead. Nobody has asked us to do otherwise. It's bizarre. Right. 
it is bizarre. And uh, I, what I would point out again, Michael, is that we will certainly have clarity, uh, certainly on Monday, on all of these issues. And there are issues around about uh, dual use. And first of all, it will make available, obviously, if it just says 50 percent, I don't know what percentage has been talked about, if any. But if it was 50 percent, you'd have to have separate floors for, uh, or when I say ordinary, that's non-protection applicants uh, on different floors to the other ones because you've lots of young children around. Obviously, there'd be something like four members of a family to each room, which which is a very high occupancy, you know, for one or possibly even two years. So they'll have to eat separately because the, they will be on, I presume they won't have the same menus. I don't know if they will or not. And one big issue for me is the, 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 the function rooms. There's one big function room downstairs. Now, if you're a mother or father with, with young kiddies, you, you, you're not going to stay in your room because you get what's called cabin fever because they're, they're just standard rooms, most of them. So where will you go for training? You'll have to go into that room, um, that function room. And obviously mothers will be entitled to go in there with their children and fathers. So I can't see normal discourse continuing in those rooms. And the other point is just say it's all families in there. Like it's totally, it's totally inadequate space for all of them. Uh, so, right, so if you have dual use, you have other problems. Mm. But would I favour more rooms being available at this stage rather than having none available to the public? I would, and I've spoken to some people who work in the hospital, and they tell me that there are a number of consultants or, or specialists who would be on call, uh, you know, that wouldn't live, wouldn't be domiciled in draw that they would stay there overnight or over a weekend and so on. Mm. So, so there's lots of issues here, and obviously we have to try and solve them. And obviously, clearly, as a government uh, supporter, I, I do my very best to do that. I don't have all the answers. But one of the things I have been speaking to uh, to Minister Humphreys about, and I mentioned this to the Taoiseach as well, is the community benefit. That there has to be a significant community benefit for Drogheda as, as a result of all these decisions. And obviously, uh, that, 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 that I think is a very important point, Michael, mm. to make to you. Okay. And I think um, you know we've so, got, so that we've money got would to, money would have to be to spell it out though that money would have to be invested in Drogheda uh, as a result. In community resources, yes, yeah, yeah. And mm. I mean, people like the you know the Drogheda Implementation Board. You know, while they they have some brilliant ideas, you know, we should be looking at those. Heather is particularly aware of all of that because she was Minister for Justice at the time that was set up. So, so there's lots of there's lots of good things can come out of this as well. Uh, but it, it doesn't take away from the fact that you know, that we have a serious crisis locally and nationally and that we need to deal with it in a much more effective way. And I know from the Irish Times yesterday that it's the biggest issue out there for everybody in the whole country. Mm. I think 22% of people are concerned about the government policy. Um, so that that is a very serious issue. And we have to address it more effectively. And Minister Gorman... Uh, you know, I think has has heard uh, seriously in the decision that he made, but we have to deal with the problem nevertheless. And yeah. that's, um, that's where we are. Uh, uh, how significant is that in your mind, the minister's performance? Because we're talking now on Tuesday morning. Uh, I suppose up to this point, people had 
been of the belief that this day next week, uh, the 5th of March, the 1st of uh, the refugees would start arriving in the hotel, our understanding is somewhat different. Uh, that the first of the refugees will actually start arriving in the hotel on Sunday coming, uh, the 3rd of March. Uh, So here we are on Tuesday, the first of the refugees due to arrive on Sunday, and the minister hasn't spoken to the hotel about changing the legally binding contract he has entered into with them. Um, And then we have that, uh, in addition to that, how last week or two weeks ago he he was saying something was impossible uh, and then a week later changes his mind to say that it is possible uh, and that he's actively pursuing it. It would seem on the face of it a very poor performance from a government minister. Well, I'm very unhappy with his performance and I've said it to him. I said it to him personally at the meeting we had. And I, I, I but I thought politics is finding solutions, notwithstanding the criticism. So I have to direct all my interest and, and, and uh, all my thinking to how do we get a solution for this locally and how do we address it nationally in a much more effective way. And I think one of the issues, Michael, is that just one point to make, uh, there's a local uh, business person was providing accommodation for Ukrainians and he got a letter from the department last week saying that they had an oversupply of accommodation for Ukrainians. Apparently, apparently, uh, the letter says the numbers have dropped significantly, so there may be more accommodation available in existing units than there were available prior to this, so that might be one one change that's coming. I know too that an issue that a lot of people raised with me uh, was was presented in court. I think on 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 was it last Saturday or last Friday or Monday, where people who arrived in Dublin Airport with no passports uh, were brought to court. I think one of them got a sentence of two months for you know for for, for not. Apparently, this person allegedly they had their passport when they got on the plane, when they came to uh, when they came to the mm-hmm. customs and exercise, uh, there was no passport. So, like, the, 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 there are tougher decisions being made, uh, and I mean, you know, you, you know, you, you you've got to be, you know, we've got to be stricter, and we've got to be stricter in terms of immigration, but we also have to be fair. If somebody is fleeing, and I was watching last night, people fleeing war in different countries, particularly in Africa, who became Irish citizens. You might have seen it on TV. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there are people who are entitled to come here because they're fleeing war and persecution, and there are people who are coming here who are not. And one point is, I think, is that the EU should have a uniform list of countries which are deemed to be safe, and that, you know, and we, we have one of the shorter lists in that. Uh, so we need to look again and try and get a standard across all European countries as regards what, who are who are safe and who are not, and that would be a uniform policy. I think that would be that would be proper to do that, Michael. Okay. Well, we started off uh, this morning by saying there's confusion. Um, there's only a matter of days to clear up uh, this confusion, as you say. Meetings are, are planned for this evening, undoubtedly over the coming days, uh, and we'd have to assume that in between now and Sunday or at least Tuesday of next week uh, that uh, the department will 
communicate with uh, the hotel that is at the centre of uh, this contract. Fergus O'Dowd, thank you indeed uh, for joining thank us you, on the programme. As always, Fergus O'Dowd is a Fine Gael TD for Louth and East Mead. If you'd like to comment on the programme today, our phone number is 0419832000. You can text or WhatsApp 086 658 is the number to do that on. Or you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. On the 8th of March, in 10 days from now, you'll be asked to vote in a referendum, or two referendums, in fact, uh, to amend uh, the Constitution. The first referendum uh, concerns the concept of family in the Constitution. The second referendum proposes uh, to delete an existing part of uh, the Constitution and then insert new text providing recognition for care provided by family members to each other. We're going to debate both proposals this morning and we'll begin with the family uh, amendment. Currently, Article 41.1 of uh, the Irish Constitution says uh, the state recognises the family as uh, the natural primary and fundamental unit group of society and as a moral institution possessing un inalienable and imprescriptible rights antecedent and superior to all positive law. Now, that is uh, to be changed to a wording that will say that the state recognises the family, whether founded on marriage or on other durable relationships. It's uh, that last sentence that will be inserted uh, which uh, makes a significant change in relation to the definition of uh, the family, whether it's founded on marriage or durable relationships. We're also being asked to vote on Article 41.3.1, which says uh, the state pledges, pledges itself to guard with special care the institution of marriage on which the family is founded and to protect it against attack. Uh, Instead of all of that sentence, the last part of it is to be deleted. So it will say that the state pledges itself to guard with special care the institution of marriage and to protect it against attack, but it will not state on which the family is founded. Now, to debate this, we are joined by Padrit Bean, who's the leader of the AIM2 party in a TD for Mead West, who is asking you to vote no to the Family Amendment and we'll also uh, be asking you to vote no uh, on the second proposal which we'll discuss later. Sharon Tolan is with us. She's a Fine Gael councillor, has been nominated on uh, behalf of her party to debate this on behalf of Fine Gael and the government and we'll be asking you to vote yes, yes to the two proposals. Good morning to both of you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Uh, Padre Tobin, first of all, why do you say no, no? Yeah, I suppose people are kind of frustrated and can't understand how poorly written that these amendments are. And um, I think people are quite shocked, especially on the family amendments, how poorly it's written uh, as well. I think most people, myself included, would have liked to have seen an update in the language uh, to make it um, more um, constant with people's lives today. But it's just the government are asking us to vote on a term, durable relationships, and nobody knows what it means. The government can't uh, define what it means um, it's, it, they haven't defined it in law, um, and it's going to be defined by a constitutional challenge in the Supreme Court. Um, the, um, the head of the Electoral Commission, Miss um, Justice Mary Baker, said that a durable relationship might be a couple who get uh, Christmas cards together. 
It might be a couple who get wedding invitations together. We're not sure when it starts. Is a durable relationship, you know, when it starts at six months of a relationship? Is it a year? And because of that lack of knowledge about what it is, there's also significant uh, consequences in relation to what a durable relationship is. So, you know, there could be consequences in terms of social welfare, in terms of tax, in terms of succession, uh, etc. I was in a debate with, with Thomas Byrne there last week, and I asked Thomas Byrne, could a person be in an undissolved marriage uh, and be in a durable relationship with somebody else? So be in two constitutionally recognized marriage equivalent relationships at the same time? And Thomas Byrne said yes. And that has phenomenal consequences in terms of uh, wills, in terms of uh, tax, in terms of all aspects of, of, of life. Um, Minister Neil Richmond was asked a question about this and immigration, and he said, yes, it, it will have a significant uh, um, consequence in terms of immigration as well. So all we're saying is if when the government was introducing an amendment to the Constitution, <clears throat> they should have defined exactly what it meant to people so people knew what they were voting on. People have no idea what they're voting on at the moment. And I think actually... So that's for that reason, you're voting no and asking people to vote no. Exactly, because we want mm. to make sure that we don't put something into the Constitution okay. that has significant negative consequences. Let's hear from the other side if we can. Sharon Tolan, do you know what you're voting for or are you voting yes for something you don't understand? No, I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm very certain and, and understand. And I think for the most part, uh, the general pu- public also understand this, despite the confusion that people like Pat are, are, are trying to throw out into the into the universe there. Um, Justice Mary Baker has been very, very clear on this. A durable relationship is already a term that's used in EU law. It's already been interpreted by the Irish courts as meaning a relationship that's long-term, that's committed, that's caring. I think it's, um, you know, Padder there is one of our legislators. It is the Oireachtas that legislates the law. Immigration is regulated by law. That's not going to change. The state will still have the power to regulate how people can live here, whether they can get a visa or not, the awarding of citizenship, residency, visas to spouses or family members. That's all regulated by law already, and that will remain the case if this referendum is passed. All family taxation and succession laws and rules will remain the same if these amendments are adopted. As Padder is very, very aware, and I think it's unfair that he tried to confuse the electorate, these laws, uh, taxation laws, succession laws, those rules are, 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 are driven by our Oireachtas members. Uh, our constitution is a separate document altogether that reflects our society and our values. Um, and it just currently does not reflect the almost a million people currently exist in families that are not based on marriage. Uh, you, you know them, I know them. There are our own family members, there are neighbours, there are friends, there are single parent families, they are cohabiting couples with children. And this change will ensure that our constitution recognises those families as well. And I think that's really, really important. Our constitution was written in 1937 by people who were born in the 1800s. And it served people very, very well in the 1930s, but it does not reflect our current society. And it's important that Mm. we ensure our constitution catch up uh, with the laws that are already existing there to protect 
families to protect. What about the modern day? What about the modern day example, though, that Padre Tobin gave us there? And he was Mm. quoting Minister Thomas Byrne saying that you could argue that a person is in two durable relationships with their wife and their ex-wife after a divorce. Look, at, the, the, the courts will determine what, what rights people have at the end of the day and, and people will always have that discourse to, to go to, to the courts if they have a dispute. But this is about the overarching document of our constitution and ensuring that it reflects, that it recognises and that it protects families uh, that, that are already existing but are just not recognised in the constitution. Padre Tobin. Yeah, so first of all, the Irish Times poll just gone by says that 53% of the people hardly know anything about these referendums at all. And that shows you the deep confusion that exists within society. Second of all, Sharon mentioned the EU law definition. The EU law definition, as discussed in in a Justice Marie Baker case, actually said that a durable relationship is an intimate or a sexual relationship, which actually rules out all the single parents. No, no, it's a long-term uh, committed and caring relationship. I didn't interrupt Long-term committed and caring relationship. So the only jurisprudence we have on this that Sharon actually quoted there actually leaves out uh, single parents because it says a sexual or an intimate relationship. The other thing I'd ask, you asked Sharon one question about one scenario and Sharon says, well, I don't know. Someone will have to go to the courts and ask the judges about it. But the thing is, Sharon, that most people don't have the money to go to the courts to actually achieve their rights in this country. It is massively expensive for people to be able to go to the Supreme Court. So just say I'm in a, durable, a so-called durable relationship. I'm six months in, and all of a sudden I feel I should have the taxation rights of a married couple. Now, when do I know that? Do I go to, to the courts? Do I have to go to the courts to achieve that right in terms of my taxation rights? Now, you mentioned that laws those can be laws. created. You said yeah, that laws can be created. Those taxation laws. We'll come back to you in a, right. in a moment. Sharon, Sharon, just we'll let, let, him make, make, let him make the, the last so point. You, we'll come back you, said to that, that, Sharon. you said that laws have to um, uh, uh, create people's rights, etc. And that, that is true. But the laws are subservient to the Constitution. If the laws contradict the understanding of the judges of a, a durable relationship, they are struck out. They mm. don't exist okay. anymore. Sharon Tolan. You are one of the people who makes those laws, Padre. The Oireachtas make those laws. I can't make unconstitutional laws. The and the Shannad make the laws that protect people, that protect families, that protect their taxation rights, their succession rights. Uh, those, those are all. Those will all remain the same, and they are are governed by the Oireachtas, not the Constitution. The Constitution is is a, a reflection. Um, of of what our society looks like, and it just doesn't look like what you're right. trying to tell people it looks the, like today. The, the, the Constitution is the fundamental legal document in this country. It contains the core rights that citizens have, and it defines the responsibilities the of the state. The protection, I, but I, not wait, the individual rights. Law. I I cannot, as a legislator, make a law that is anti-constitutional. Mm-hmm. So no, for, for me, not. for me to make a law, okay, let's un- let, let Sharon Tolan just respond no, you can, to that. You can't make a law. Go yeah, ahead. That you can't make a law. You can't make a law that's anti-constitutional, which is why we are asking people to change this constitution now to reflect the families that are based on other durable relations, things other than uh, marriage. Because, but, as you well know, our our family members, our neighbours, there are so many four hundred thousand families out there currently 
it's estimated that are not based on marriage for one yeah. reason or, okay, or another. We're going to move on now. Okay, we're going to move on now. Sharon, thank you. Sharon, thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. We're going to move on now to the care amendment because as we said at the start, we'll have uh, two referendums to vote in. We've just been talking about the family amendment now that there's the care amendment and there's two articles in the constitution, 4121 and 4122. They say that the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and the state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. Both those articles of the Constitution are to be deleted if this proposal uh, is carried uh, and 41 2.1 and 41.2.2 will be replaced with Article 42b. And instead of what I've just read out for you, it will say the state recognises that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them gives to society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and shall strive to support such provision. Patrick Tobin, why do you say no? The main reason that I have a difficulty with this is uh, right now care has never been devalued as um, as, a, as it is at the moment. So we know that uh, child care places are closing on a weekly basis. We know that nursing homes are closing at the moment. We also know that children in state care are being put into unregulated locations. Um, and many people who care for people with disabilities, uh, people with Alzheimer's, older people, are struggling to try and get just the supports that they need to be able to help their families. Now, this particular amendment, what it does is it isolates care just to be the responsibility of family members. So it says care in the family between family members. It insulates the government from any responsibility to provide care uh, for people who need care uh, or for those uh, who are carers uh, as well. And that's makes, that reduces the rights that these families have to try and get the care that they need. I know families who are you know, have campaigns of, of phone calls and emails to government departments just trying to get a couple of hours of home care. You know, families who have a person with a disability who are worried about when they die, what will happen to that child. And, you know, they're being told by the state, well, have you got somebody else in your family to mind that, ch- that child? And people with disabilities should have autonomy. Their rights in this society should not be just dependent on what the family gives them, but they should be independent in this republic as a citizen anyways. And this, go- this particular amendment reduces their ability to, to achieve that level of independence. Indeed, Flack you know, has said that this particular amendment is actually inherently sexist because it forces families to deal with care, and in the majority of cases, it's women who deal with that care. Okay. And I just think, it, you know, mm-hmm. for a government that has treated people so poorly in terms of the provision of care, this is a what I would say nearly a neoliberal amendment okay. that actually... And you will be voting no and asking people we'll to We'll be vote. voting no. Okay, Sharon yeah. Tolan, uh, you'll be asking people to vote yes, as you will be yourself. Tell us why. Uh, well, our constitution currently only recognises care within the home as a woman's duty, or uh, indeed a mother's duty, and that's, again, simply not reflective of our current society. We want to ensure that these duties are valued, regardless of who undertakes them, whether it's women or men, mothers or fathers. It's about recognising that women and men uh, can and should and do equally uh, have the freedom to choose their paths in life and decide themselves how best to care for their families and how to balance that 
the language currently in our constitution is dated and sexist and it's important that we we update it again as I said 1937 by people who were born in the 1800s and it served people well in the 1930s but let's face it I mean back then women were very few women went outside the home if any at all went went outside the home to work that has completely changed in this day and age. Many people make the choices um, themselves at home, currently do, and it's important that we reflect that. Mm. Will it make any difference? Well, it, 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 I, first of all, I will say, yeah. I, do, I do agree with Sharon in that I think the language should have been updated. I would have liked to have seen the word father included in terms uh, of this. Um, but it's important to realise as well that, you know, Judge Susan Denham has, say, has stated that this particular amendment simply recognises the significant role played by mothers uh, in the home. And this will be the deletion of the only time that the word mother appears in the home. And you believe Um, it'll make a difference for that reason? You believe it'll make a difference? I take it for a different reason, Sharon Tolan? Absolutely. And the word mother um, uh, is is, uh, is found in in the Constitution elsewhere as as well. The word word woman is is not the word mother. Making that that, that, that comment is is just... uh, uh, scaremongering. Look, at generations of women women have campaigned to have this removed, the sexist language uh, removed uh, from from our constitution. Generations of women have tried to get this changed. It's long overdue. Using the word strive actually puts an obligation on future governments to continue to take further steps forward to improve things for family care. It's certainly the legal view, the view of the chair of the Independent Electoral Commission, Justice Mary Baker. She feels that it puts additional responsibility and obligation on the state that doesn't currently exist. The word she has said, actually yesterday, as as late as yesterday, she has said that the word strive is a much stronger word than the word endeavour. Okay, we have to leave it there. Thank you both indeed for fighting your corners uh, as such. Uh, We've heard arguments on both sides of both referendums uh, that will be held on the 8th of March. Uh, We hope uh, that that's helped you at home to inform yourself and that you do go out to vote, whether it's yes, yes or no, no. It's a decision you must make yourself. But we thank our two guests uh, this morning for helping you to form your opinion on this. Sharon Tolan of Fine Gael, a Fine Gael County Councillor in Meath, asking you to vote yes, yes. And Patter Tobin, aim to leader and founder at TD in Meath West, asking you to vote no, no. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Let me bring you some more of uh, the comments uh, coming to us uh, today. John in Navin saying, Mike, can you tell me what the hell Irish troops are doing in Ukraine? Ireland is uh, not part of NATO, allegedly, says John, even though it seems uh, to be a wish of the shower running the country. Not every Irish person supports Ukraine and neither of uh, the three... Uh, government uh, party leaders uh, will speak for every person in the country. The Irish people have enough problems at home without (laughs) the shower and the doll, as John says, uh, sticking their snouts in another nation's business. Also, um, uh, he's uh, choice words, uh, I think, for Vladimir Zelensky, um, the Ukrainian uh, President, um, I think we've got your, the gist of it there, um, John. Uh, I don't know what our Irish troops are doing in Ukraine. I don't uh, believe they are in Ukraine. I believe uh, 
that uh, the Irish troops were in Poland training Ukrainian troops. There's serious questions, though, about that, John, uh, because uh, the reason was to train the Ukrainian troops in um, clearing up uh, these landmines, uh, which is obviously undoubtedly a part of the Russian offensive. So the argument is that uh, Ireland has involved in itself itself in the conflict and can Ireland do that as a neutral state or does it mean that Ireland is no longer a, a neutral state? You probably find uh, a lot of people on both sides of uh, that argument, but it is a, a very serious question. Thanks uh, for your message. Uh, John, Ian, in touch with us, who says anyone who lands on these shores without a passport, having had one before they boarded a, a plane uh, in Africa or wherever, should be returned to, to the country of origin on the next flight. No questions, says Ian. Okay. You, you wouldn't ask, uh, will they be killed uh, if uh, they return in or would they be tortured or uh, things like that? Uh, I, I, I think there's probably a few questions that could be asked, Ian. Uh, Desi uh, says he thinks that Fergus O'Dowd is two-faced, coming onto the programme, giving out about other ministers, but when a vote of confidence comes, he will always vote uh, in favour of uh, the government. Um, thank you, Desi, for that. Uh, well, I think that's just the nature of politics. If you vote against the government as a backbench TD, you're no longer a member of uh, that party, or at least in effect you're not. You lose the party whip uh, for a period of time, at least, uh, so it is a very serious thing to do, Desi, as I'm sure you'll appreciate. Uh, and all that comes with uh, the support of uh, a party, if you're uh, in a political party and uh, operating as a party TD. Uh, Stephen Athboy in touch. Thanks, Stephen, for your text as always. He says, hi, Michael, the hotel doesn't want to be a dual hotel. It would cost them in the long run as local customers wouldn't support the hotel. Uh, Steve says, how could you dine and eat in a hotel knowing that families are sharing a room long term uh, where they do not have access to the full hotel? they'll probably have an exit and entry door at the back. Can you imagine having your family in a room with one toilet, no cooking facilities? Steve says, I wouldn't be comfortable eating or drinking in an establishment knowing that that was what was happening upstairs. Yeah, it's far from ideal, Steve. Uh, there's no doubt. Uh, thanks, as I say, for your message uh, to the programme. As always, uh, thanks to everybody who's been in touch. A lot more comments will come to them uh, as uh, we go through the second hour of the programme. Our phone number, though, if you want to add to what's been said, is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, uh, this uh, Friday evening, uh, the Irish Farmers Association, together with Fingal Farmers Group, will hold a public meeting. It's to take place between 8 and 10 p.m. in City North on policing and crime. It'll be attended uh, by the Deputy Vice President of the IFA, Alice Doyle, who joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Alice. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Good to talk to you this morning. There's and a, to your listener. There's a lot of challenges that farmers face in, in this day and age, but of course crime uh, is never too far from any landowner's uh, door. There's obviously a lot of concerns in Fingal. Uh, what uh, would you uh, hope uh, to achieve through this meeting on Friday? 
Michael, we have a number of issues and a number of, I suppose, priorities. The first one is to highlight the seriousness and the extent of the criminal activity in the Fingal, Louth and Mead areas over the recent months. And I suppose our second objective there too is to impress upon the relevant authorities the necessity to put in place a real response and plan of action. Okay. Uh, And when you talk about uh, criminality, uh, tell us a a little bit more. Tell us uh, the type of crimes that are are being acted out. Michael, it's a huge uh, list of of, of crime, I'm afraid, taking place. And the type of issues that these communities face on a daily basis are things like illegal hunting with the dogs, you know, hunting hares and badgers on farmers' private land, trespassing again on private land, test of tools and equipment and in recent months we have seen and recent weeks actually we've seen a huge space of crime around the the, the test of gps systems particularly from tillage farmers we have quite criminal damage to farms and lands the sheep killed by dogs and we've over 60 of those in, uh, kills in the last week 60 animals killed in the last week and anyone who has ever been through a sheep kill and has seen animals being killed by dogs or has been there with the people afterwards and seen the trauma both on the animals and on the humans, uh, it's horrific. There's fly tipping, fly grazing, bogus traders and callers. Um, there's the drugs issue and then there's the threats and intimidation. And there's an end of this, but that's an extent of this I think I've given you there. Mm. And to deal with these, they're, they're serious issues. They're all very serious issues. Each and every one of them. What about the threats and intimidation? What type of threats or why are people being threatened? But people, if they confront anybody coming onto their farms, whether it's at the gate, at the farm gate, it can be in intercepting them on the land when they're out in the middle of their farms and ask them to, to leave the farm can be very threatening, you know, and saying, we know where you live, we'll come after you, or, you know, physical threats, absolute physical threats. So uh, people are quite intimidated and quite threatened by this. And, you know, you've only so many rights, you can't, you can't hit back, you know. So mm. um, farmers are, are quite threatened by all of this. There doesn't seem to be any sense of, uh, you know, of decorum at all in that, you know, you respond to somebody asks you to leave the farm. Please leave, you leave. That doesn't seem to be the way. I, I'd be here and I'd be here and I'd do what I want. Mm. Or before you leave, will you take your fridge or whatever else it is you've dumped on my land with you? Absolutely, absolutely, and nobody wants to do that. You won't say nobody. A lot of these people don't want to do that. They feel they have a right to be in on farms. They have a right to go in and hunt um, and and do whatever they want and leave gates open, damage electric fences. Like all of this happens, and this is very serious because it can have serious consequences if animals break out on the road. The farmer is then liable for them being on the road. Um, so it, it, it can have very serious consequences. So it's very important that we highlight these. Uh, these criminal activities, and as I said, some of the more serious ones are things like the the tests from uh, from of tools and equipment. Some of that equipment that was stolen in the last couple of weeks, those GPS systems, cost, there was up to nearly a quarter of a million worth of materials stolen in the last couple of weeks, because those GPS systems are very expensive and they're very hard to replace. And not only does mm. the farmer suffer the, the, the loss of the equipment, but he suffers the, the loss of, of time in between where he's waiting for the replacement of these because they're not available in the local shop. They have to be ordered. So there's, uh, as well as time lost and financial loss, mm. uh, there's that, that whole period in between where work doesn't get done. Well, there's a cost to all of these issues, isn't there? I mean, uh, if, uh, if somebody dumps something on your land, you're going to have to pay to have it cleaned up in the same way that there's a, a loss to the farmer if uh, livestock are attacked by dogs, as uh, the case may be. Uh, but there's also a physical cost uh, at times. Uh, tell us about Operation Rottweiler. 
That was a, that's a very interesting operation that was uh, done in Tipperary. And that was in response to the very same type of issues that we're raising here in, in uh, North Dublin and in Meath and Louds now. The very same type of thing was happening. And that was run a few years ago down there. And the chairman of that group, Liz Ronda Community, uh, Andrew Stokes, is actually coming to the meeting. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss to explain to people about how they suffered and how they dealt with it. This new operation uh, involved getting a certain groups of, of, of Gardaí, there was a much more Gardaí brought in, certain, a certain specific group brought, of brought in who were trained to deal with this. And these Gardaí and this group were able to intercept a lot of these criminals. They, de- they had a higher visibility in the area. They were present more and they dealt with this. And it really was very successful. It has reduced the amount of crime, uh, this type of crime, greatly in the Tipperary area. So hopefully if we could get the same for the North County Dublin Loud Mead area, that that too would reduce the crime there because, as I said, farmers are at their wits end up there. And they do need the, the minister, you know, to, to make sure that we have more Gardaí available, that there is a higher visibility of them. Um, and, and, you know, tackling these, these gangs by having these mobile groups uh, of Gardaí available uh, and Gardaí response times quicker to deal with this. So we're hoping... Uh, that that will happen. Uh, and at the, on the night, we will be sending a, a, a petition to the minister, a signed petition, asking for an urgent meeting with her to discuss the preventative measures measures, and agree how best to advance the shortages in the policing matters in this area. Very good. And as you say, you'll have uh, members of Angarda Shia Khanna uh, in City North on Friday evening coming. Also members of uh, the National Parks and Wildlife Service um, executive or council officials uh, uh, and indeed elected members of Fingal County Council but the dog warden service will be there uh, as well there'll be some interesting questions I'm sure for them in terms of livestock uh, being worried or attacked or killed they're a very important group, uh, and that's with dealing with the councils, the local councils deal with the dog wardens, uh, dog warden service. It is very important that they're there because that is a huge issue. As I said earlier to you, uh, if anyone has ever witnessed one of these kills, 
it is traumatic uh, in the events of seeing the animals dead on the ground. But it's the after effect on families is horrific. They, they suffer trauma themselves from having watched this happen for months afterwards, as well as the animals that, that survive are tra- traumatised and often don't go back uh, in lamb again because of the, of the trauma. And the dog wardens can do a great job here. And in some counties where dog wardens are working to their capacity, it is certainly helping because we have a lot of stray dogs who are running wild we also have the dogs who get out at night, were not put in, not tied up, uh, stray out onto farm. And any dog, the best little pet that you have, who you'd say, oh, wouldn't go near a sheep, that dog is as capable of killing a sheep as a, a Rothweiler, because we mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. Any animal, any dog can kill. And we should never underestimate the uh, ability of a dog to attack sheep, and particularly if they're in company with another dog they will absolutely take pleasure in chasing sheep and, and killing them. And once they get the taste of blood at all, That's it. they are vicious. Mm. Mm. Uh, and, and the dog wardens play a huge role there in, in, in you know, taking these dogs away, uh, also making sure that dogs are licensed, that uh, they're, they're microchipped, so that if a dog is picked up uh, when chasing sheep, that we can find the owner of them. Mm. Uh, and, of course, the farmer has uh, the right to shoot to kill the dog if uh, there is a dog worrying livestock. Yes, they, they do. But not every farmer will have a, a gun at his disposal when uh, just at that moment in time. And a lot of damage can be done in a very short period of time. But yes, they do have the right to shoot to kill uh, in the event of, of sheep being, being mauled or worried. Which nobody wants to do. Uh, I, I, oh, absolutely. No farmer wants to do it. No farmer yeah. wants to kill an animal. No, yeah. no, I knew nobody wants to kill an animal within reason, you know. Mm. So, but if, if you see your livelihood going down, uh, going down the drain, and you see the trauma, as I said, that it causes to these animals, mm. your initial uh, reaction, of course, is to to stop that. Uh, and if one of the ways, unfortunately, you might have to to use the gun, well, then you have to use it. Mm. But if we, as I said, dog wards are usually called out then as well, anyway. Um, to, you know, to, with when the dog is there, or sometimes the dog can be actually caught and kept in the shed or whatever until the uh, dog warden comes. So uh, mm. it's important to, that that's people are aware of that as well. It's very difficult to police, isn't it? Uh, and quite often um, it's a terrible wrong that's done through innocence, if you like, or ignorance, if you prefer, uh, because the dog owner doesn't understand the consequence uh, or hasn't contemplated the consequence of what will happen if their dog is unsupervised in the proximity of livestock. Absolutely. The word ignorance is very good, Michael. I think it's the word mm. ignorance in the sense, the best sense of not knowing any different, or yes. not knowing mm. better, uh, that people don't tie up their dog at night, don't make sure their dog is put in, you know, kept in at night, mm. particularly at night time, uh, or kept under control, sure. uh, that they can't get out from... from but what from do we do about that, uh, just, just as it comes to the question that I was about to put to you, what do we do about that ignorance or innocence. You know, some people will say, oh, well, I never knew after the event when it's too late and a huge number of sheep have been killed. Uh, I, I never thought. What a, over all of the years, because this is not a new problem. It's not a new phenomenon. It's something that's been happening all of my life. And I, I think uh, years ago, uh, there may have been adverts about it. I remember as a young child. Uh, but it, that's a long time ago, by the way. Uh, but in, in the <laughs> intervening years, I, I don't remember anything by way of an information campaign so that people 
are informed, uh, that they know that it's wrong. Uh, I mean, it's very difficult to please. You can't have wardens up uh, mountain oh, hills at, at night uh, uh, and all they can do is try to find out uh, which dog killed the dogs after the, or the sheep after the sheep have been killed or whatever the case. Well, should there be a, a, an information campaign on television, social media, billboards or whatever to try and ask known dog owners to be responsible and explain to them why it's so important. Michael, you're absolutely right. Uh, look, I do remember in the not too distant past on the television, there was a, a good ad campaign there. You know, I can still see the, the kind of dark shadow of the farmer uh, coming out onto the field and finding a dog chasing people. Now, that's some time ago. We certainly could see that they were reactivated again and some of those used. And you're dead right. Billboards and, uh, you know, all kinds of advertising would help. But it still comes down to personal responsibility at the end of the day. And anyone who owns a dog uh, should know, you know, we, in, in all fairness, should know that a dog can do, can do damage. And particularly if they live in an area where there are animals. And a lot of the, in those areas, those three areas I mentioned, Fingal, Louth and Meath, they're rural areas. And there's also the, the small villages and towns in those areas. And they're very close to fields where there are animals. And I, I don't think it takes a lot, lot of common sense to know that if an animal can do damage, they should be under control. And also, I think we, we've just mentioned, too, it's not just animals getting out from a house. We have people going out hunting with, with dogs and they're hunting in fields where there are animals. And that causes huge stress to, to, to sheep as well and to cattle. I mean, not just sheep, but we, mm. we, we, we have cattle stressed as well by the fact that dogs are, are in the fields. And whereas the, you know, the people that handle those first shouldn't be on the fields, but they would say to you, oh, we can handle our dog. We can manage our dog. You know, when we call him back, he'll come back. But in all fairness, if an animal gets a taste of chasing another animal, a dog gets a taste of chasing another animal, not that easy to get them back, I can assure you, mm. unless they're very well trained. So I think... You know, a little bit of common sense, a little bit of personal responsibility wouldn't go astray. And then, of course, I think it's so important that anyone who has a dog, it should be microchipped and it should be licensed. And if you took that responsibility in doing that, you would know that, you know, your animal is traceable and you would take, I think you'd be more careful about leaving it out on out loose uh, because you know that it can, it can it can get away. So I think they're the kind of things we would ask. But I would take on board what you're saying, that a campaign to make people more aware at certain, all year round, but particularly, I suppose, at this time of year when, when sheep are lambing, is, is very important. OK, Alice, nice to talk and, to you. And again, like doing your, and like I said to you, Michael, thank you very much for uh, highlighting this this morning, mm. because I'm sure that many of your listeners this morning uh, are dog owners. And uh, you have given them some information this morning. You've highlighted to them and brought it to their attention. And, and that's particularly good. So I thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Uh, people, uh, will, uh, and I'm sure you'll be delighted to meet people uh, for that matter, at 8 o'clock uh, on Friday evening in uh, the City North Hotel. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, council officials, uh, local uh, public representatives, uh, the dog wardens, NPWS, uh, and indeed yourself, Alice, uh, will be uh, attending. And it should be of interest to all farmers. Thank you. Yes, Mike, and we would encourage people to come. We really would say do come, uh, do come, listen to the advice being given. Listen to, the, listen to the stories of the farmers too because I think that will heighten the awareness of people as to the seriousness uh, of these issues in, in the area. And, you know, the, the community themselves, the general community can be very helpful in preventing crime. It's not all down to the Gardaí. Uh, we know a lot of it is and the Gardaí do their best but they're, they're, they're stretched for what they can do so we're hoping they will be, uh, you know, the increased numbers of them uh, around the area. Mm -hmm. The local community can also help. So by being there and 
hearing how you know what's happening, you might be able to put yourself in a position sometime where you might be able to assist the Gardaí um, in dealing with some of these crimes. So we Very invite good. everybody to come to that community meeting on in the city north on Friday night at 8pm. Thank you very much indeed. Alice Doyle is uh, Deputy Vice President of uh, the Irish Farmers Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. As you know, the first phase of uh, the new road in Drogheda, the Port Access Northern Cross route was opened yesterday. The verdict from uh, the Drogheda City Status Group was swift. In fact, before the ribbon was even cut, the verdict was the government has failed Drogheda. Let's uh, hear why Brian Hanratty is a, a member of uh, the Drogheda City Status Group and on the line. Good morning to you, Brian, and thanks uh, for joining us. You were obviously underwhelmed. Yes, uh, because, Michael, obviously, I, I suppose, we, we first of all say it is a step in the right direction, but it's only one step, and it looks like it's phase one of four phases. Um, the uh, Louth County Council Chief Executive yesterday at the opening said that phase two, uh, she hoped, would start uh, a little bit later this year. But that only gets us as far as the railway line, which is a critical component. Uh, We need a a station on the north side of town. Um, And then two, two further phases beyond that. And obviously the suggestion is they're well out into the future. Now, you and many of your listeners familiar with Drada will know just how fast the greater Drada area, including East Mead, where, where I live, which is part of the natural catchment uh, of Drada, it's growing at a phenomenal rate. And, you know, that road is critical because at the moment, the centre of Drada is choked with heavy traffic. Um, heavy goods vehicles going to the port and it's pollution it's a, a road traffic hazard it's noise that has to be it's it's long overdue to stop so we we did say in our press release you know that's half a road it's not even half a road in reality um, and as I said at a time when population is growing we're moving towards a city and one thing and I think maybe the the road proves it. We're bloody hopeless at in in Ireland is planning for the future. Um, so coming uh, too late uh, with with um, a badly needed road. But equally, there's no planning being done for the future city of Drada. The CSO confirmed Drada's population, the 22 census, 44,000. Um, now Dundalk's um, population in the same census was 43,000. But there's a very big difference. Dundalk brings in Blackrock as part of its catchment, uh, 6,000 people. So if you if you strip that back, Dundalk's net population, uh, the town is 37,000. In contrast, where I live, which is only 10 minutes from Drada, um, there are 15,000 people and growing fast in coastal East Mead. And if they were properly connected to the population of Drada, we would have a population locally of just shy of 60,000. So this is the emerging city. It is happening um, uh, under people's noses, but it's disguised because of the way the population is essentially 
gerrymandered and we have so little lo- local employment. Like those new residents will be very welcome and they will add mm. a lot to, to the local uh, seen culturally and economically. You'd be, be very convincing if you were right, uh, but uh, you're not right. Uh, a lot of the people that you're talking about wouldn't uh, identify uh, themselves as living in Drogheda. They live in County Meath. Well, that's if you're talking about if you're talking about uh, where I live. Yeah, in Betty's town. Uh, yeah. In fact, most of the people I can tell you on a day. Dublin is playing. Uh, yeah, they would. Yeah, they'd be wearing Dublin yeah. jerseys, of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they so certainly wouldn't think would, they're 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 living in Drogheda. No, no. But you know, if they have an accident, if their house goes on fire, they turn to Drogheda for the support from the state services and different state services, like bus errands, what they call their Drogheda Town Service runs down as far as Laytown and up the coast on two services. There are, I think, more than three dozen services mm. on a weekday. There is no there is no direct bus service from coastal East Mead to any other urban centre in County Mead. That's how disconnected it is. It's natural hinterland. It's part of, of Drada. And we would also say... Well, as like I say, a lot of people wouldn't think that that is uh, the case uh, in Bettystown or Laytown. Well, I think that's a, that's a big statement. Well, I think know. it's a big statement uh, that you've made to say that everybody <laughs> does. But, you know, unfortunately, one of the reasons people here uh, maybe are not that focused on Drada is because they've got to commute to Dublin to get work and Julianstown every morning hmm. is and that's why they're living there that's why they're living and there the, and the, and because the for, for, for the sake of house prices uh, uh, and uh, they uh, can't afford to buy a house in Dublin their life is in Dublin so they can afford to buy a house in Bettystown uh, and uh, as far as they're concerned um, it, it really is uh, just uh, a, a suburb of Dublin uh, far more so than is uh, the case uh, of it being a, a suburb of uh, Drogheda and then of course you've uh, plenty of people who are born and bred in, in all of these areas who would say that they're from County Meath and they'll be wearing Meath jerseys uh, for uh, the particular matches uh, and uh, they won't want to change that and they don't want uh, to be taken out of County Meath. But those 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 people, if they were offered a similar job in Drogheda or on the outskirts of Drogheda, south side or north side, in the morning, they would take it. Um, I remember there was one business being set up in Drogheda um, maybe in the last decade or so and they got a lot of applications from people, yeah. and a lot of those people said we're willing to take a reduction in pay. Yeah, but to sure, get who, who wants to be on the M50 or whatever? I mean, the the opposite is the, the opposite is true as well, of course, Brian. If they could get their house, their the exact house, a replica of the house that they're living in, uh, in their own neighbourhood that they grew up in in Dublin for the same price they'd be gone back to Dublin. I mean, that's the reason people are living in Bettystown and Leytown. Well, some people, there are also a lot of local people yeah, who are course, buying houses said. around Drada. And, you know, they're not all blow-ins. And those people, again, deserve local jobs. In the era of carbon emissions and climate change, 
the madness of the clogged motorway in the morning, the, the overpacked trains. Now, the DART may slightly alleviate that. And indeed, there should be, and, and it's maybe worth mentioning to your listeners at this stage, there's about two weeks left to make a contribution to the joint local area plan for Drada and a small part of Mead to the south of um, the town as, as it is in Louth. Um, and if they go to either the Louth or Mead uh, uh, County, uh, sorry, a county council website, they'll see how to how to do that. And one of the things we also would advocate is to reopen the Navandrada line. Uh, it's already serving Tara Mines or has been for freight. Um, it can easily be upgraded for commuter traffic, and you could have a shuttle service between Navan and Drada, and then people say come from Navan or Dulik. Uh, can hop on a train to Belfast or Dublin or whatever. Um, and that's part of the infrastructure. We have a lot of focus on sort of the north-south access, the motorway, the railway to Belfast uh, and to Dublin. We don't have very much focus on the local, uh, natural, um, uh, wider catchment of, uh, of Drada, Navan, and creating jobs in that in that area. You know, the IDA have really failed Drada. There are so few businesses. Most of the IDA businesses that exist uh, are ones that were established decades ago, like Coca-Cola. Well, it's not uh, the IDA's fault, though. I mean, it's not the IDA's fault. It's not. It's the special strategy. The the IDA's focus has to be uh, on Dundalk, does it not? Theory, but in practice, no. In, in practice, in practice, because there's a spatial strategy which uh, demands that of it. But, but in practice, if you look at a lot of smaller towns around the country who didn't feature in the spatial strategy uh, plans, uh, who have got major employment, uh, towns like Westport, um, you know, who don't either have a, a university campus, which is something Drada needs as well. We have. Again, a mass exodus of young people. Um, the ones that are doing the daily commute are going down as far as Maynooth, for example. There are others, obviously, who have to leave. And if they're going to Galway or Cork or somewhere, they have to incur the accommodation costs. Drad is off the scale, Michael, now. Um, it is on a par population-wise with Waterford. Uh, it needs these facilities. Uh, as it evolves into a city. Would you not and think of moving into Drogheda? Who, me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my <laughs> circumstances are, are not of relevance to the wider wider uh, audience. Okay. But, you know, I think the thing about it is, again, just to remind your listeners, whether, whether individuals, uh, families, businesses, very important that they set out what they want to see in the future uh, Drogheda area, in that joint local Mm. area plan. It's not perfect because it doesn't reflect the real catchment of this area, Mm. but it is something. And um, as we put put it, Dundalk at the moment has the jobs, Drogheda's the commuters. And that image or that slogan will be reinforced by the Northern Cross route, the housing developments, unless there is a commensurate 
development of employment. Okay. And the I, 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 think, uh, I, I think before people get to the employment uh, questions, which is a, a, a very important aspect to all of this, uh, I think people will be asking about what services are there along the Port Access Northern Cross route? Uh, will there be GPs? Uh, will there be extra guards? Will there be where, extra hospital space? Will there be any of the uh, additional challenges uh, that the town will face because of an increase in the population of what is expected to be about 20,000. Yes. It is incredible. Why they should set out those issues in a submission to the joint area, local area plan okay. because it is essential those services go in. Right. And by the way, sometimes people say to me, why do you want Drada to be a city? It's very simple. You look at the Ireland 2040 plan. The, the current cities are like the premiership. Mm. That's where a disproportionate focus of the state's involvement and investment is happening. Okay, Brian, I'm over time. I have to leave it there. get into that premiership. Okay, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Brian Hanratty, member of uh, the Drogheda City Status Group. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Have you ever skipped a a meal or had less on your plate so that there'd be enough to go around uh, the whole family. Well, it, it seems uh, to be relatively commonplace in uh, this uh, country that parents have made such a, a decision. 40% of parents, according uh, to the latest food insecurity research from Bernardo's and Aldi Ireland. Uh, let's uh, hear a little bit more about this. Stephen Moffat is uh, the National Policy Manager with Bernardo's. A very good morning to you, Stephen. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we heard through the bulletins today that you're suggesting that food vouchers be made available to people. That's a, a pretty dire situation for people to be in if that's necessary. Yeah, absolutely. It's concerning for us that to see just the sheer amount of children uh, growing up in families at the moment where parents are having to borrow food, having to use food banks, having to skip meals, just to make sure that their children have enough uh, nutritious food on a plate on a daily basis. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a real cause for concern for us, such as the basic necessity that some children are missing out on. Uh, and uh, it's twice as bad as it was a couple of years ago, is it? Well, it seems definitely, it's certainly grown uh, from our statistics that we've been running for the last couple of years. It's, it's grown substantially over the last two years. You know, more and more parents are, are skipping meals. Um, huge jump in the number of uh, parents who are having to borrow money just to be able to feed their children. Uh, more and more parents using food banks as well. Um, so, yeah, it definitely seems to have been a really growing problem, um, you know, brought about by cost of living crisis, uh, by huge amounts in inflation. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, income levels haven't jumped up, particularly for those uh, on the lowest incomes. Uh, OK, well, uh, how do you uh, suggest the government goes about this? Uh, we heard that suggestion of food vouchers, uh, but uh, you've uh, a number of suggestions, do you not? Yeah, so there, there has been really excellent uh, advances in terms of uh, provision of free school meals and hot school meals program. You know, really, really excellent what's been happening in primary schools over the last number of years. We get to see that sort of advance in, in secondary schools. You know, those those children are arguably eaten more than uh, children in primary school. Um, so we want to see what steps the government could take uh, for those children. Um, you know, there is an issue uh, around um, the additional welfare payments 
that this country has, a system that we should be really proud of. Uh, but, you know, if, if parents are going there uh, to try and get additional additional needs payments for basics such as food, they need to get answers in a really quick uh, time. Mm. So that that means having to get on a decision in a couple of days, not waiting six or seven weeks, you know, mm. families that I was speaking to a couple of months ago, yeah. uh, you know. I know. Um, what do you do if uh, the exhaust falls off the car? Uh, I think you're in trouble uh, if you have to commute to work uh, and you're out of a job if you can't commute to work. Uh, you can't wait that long uh, to see if the state can support you with something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, these are families that, uh, you know, they don't have a safety net built in place. And certainly if they did have it, it's it's long gone because of, uh, you know, the cost of living over the last number of years. Um, so they're, they're left making really, really difficult decisions. As you said, the example you provided, that means, you know, their income could drop even further. Um, or else, you know, it's just a case of, you know, having to, you know, put back even further on essentials. And that's where you see parents, you know, cutting out on their own meals. And that builds huge amounts of stress and anxiety within a family household, mm. uh, you know, when you're having to make those decisions on a regular basis. There's a problem with food vouchers, though, is there not? People don't want to be seen paying for their groceries in the supermarket with a voucher like that. Yeah, there's definitely some issues and stigma associated with vouchers. Um, you know, we know that across our services, we provide food vouchers uh, to families where we think it's it's really needed uh, and, you know, where families might be proactively asking for us for them. In the past, you know, that would have happened, you know, families might have asked for them, you know, here and there, a small proportion of families. Uh, and some of that might have been due to because the stigma associated with having to use a voucher. That stigma, uh, you know, hasn't blocked families over the last couple of years. Uh, an increasing number look into our services for those vouchers. You know, it's just a case of, you know, putting their children ahead of that sense of potential shame that they unfortunately might feel and asking for those vouchers and using them mm. because they know they just need them. And without them, you know, their children might go without. Um, so, you know, vouchers can play a significant part. But, of course, you know, other measures as well. Um, you know, in terms of income supports. Mm. And as well, thinking about, you know, those periods when children aren't in school and what we can do about that. Mm. And you're suggesting that there uh, would be out-of-term and weekend meals available for school children. Yeah, absolutely. You know, families I would have spoken to, you know, would have told me about, you know, the periods of time that they find it most dis- difficult can be, you know, Easter coming up in a, in a month or so's time. That can be very difficult. How do you provide children with the food, particularly if you've been reliant on hot school meals? You know, it might be a week or two where, where there's a real struggle. So we think, you know, the government needs to pilot something. We don't necessarily have the exact answers, and we think it would look slightly different in each local area, depending on what uh, existing infrastructure are in place. Mm. Utilising local community centres, you know, different uh agencies within local communities that might be able to provide um, meals um, out of school hours. Um, you know, we need really need to look at that just because mm. we know that otherwise children might be, uh, you know, struggling without that. Yeah, I suppose uh, this is complicated because we're talking about a, a lot of individuals and a lot of individual stories and situations and so on. On one hand, on the other hand, it, it's relatively simple. If you look at uh, the headline figures uh, and how over a period of two years, double the amount of people are going without or reducing 
uh, the portions, uh, sizes uh, that they have themselves so that their children can uh, eat properly. Uh, it's a really nice thing uh, that people are doing but of course it's dangerous because it has health consequences and so on but the reason for that isn't too hard to figure out the cost of food has gone up over the course of the last couple of years it's much more expensive to go to the supermarket now than it was two years ago Uh, 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 but incomes have not risen in line with those increases surely the solution is just to increase people's incomes yeah, certainly that's what we would have been looking for over the last uh, sort of year or so, uh, and appreciating that exact fact. You know, I chatted to a mother last week. Uh, she has three growing children, uh, and she's able to tell me exactly how much she spent uh, every every week on food, uh, you know, 18 months or two years ago. Uh, and what she's spending now, she, you know, it's an extra 70 euro a week. You know, that's and she's on a very finite low income. You know, she just can't stretch her food any further. You know, so it really comes down to providing additional income for families such as that. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's not a case of, you know, them trying to budget more because there's there's nothing more to budget. Uh, it really does come down, to, as you say, it's about incomes uh, and the fact that those incomes have not, and particularly low incomes, have not uh, gone up in the same rate as inflation and cost of living has gone up over the last couple of years. Okay, me leave it there, Stephen. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Stephen Moffat, National Policy Manager with Bernardo's. Let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Uh, We had a text from a Navin listener who says the issue of dogs, just like littering, illegal dumping and dashboard diners throwing their rubbish out of the window is bad manners, as they are all well aware that they shouldn't be doing it. Ignorance it is, says our Navin listener. And thank you uh, for your message uh, to the programme. A a number of people in touch with us telling us uh, they don't understand uh, what they're being asked to vote for or vote on in the referendums. And a number of people telling us uh, that this morning's debate didn't enlighten them for that matter. Uh, Joanne and Navin saying, I hope that a lady is including, uh, this is uh, the IFA, we were speaking earlier on to the Deputy Vice President Alice Doyle and uh, Joanne says, I, I hope she's including the hunts on horseback with their hounds terrorising the countryside with no respect for animals or people on land. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, we'd uh, Deirdre saying um, uh, that nobody uh, with uh, dogs should allow them onto farmers' lands. Um, it, it's not right. Uh, dogs end up being wild and they should be kept on leads. Uh, no excuse then, somebody else says, for anybody who won't use long leads on a beach or in fields. Uh, that's uh, from Madra Mott Dog Training. Thanks. Uh, always good to get your message. Thank you for that. Um, we'd, uh, I'm not sure, this is Tom. Yeah, Tom, thanks for your message. He says, Patter Tobin and Peter Fitzpatrick both voted against their parties. They lost the whip, whip uh, and they both got re-elected as independents. Both National O'Dowd voted with their parties and, Tom says, sold Drogheda down the river, but... Uh, they should be putting the party aside and represent the people. But they were more worried uh, about uh, their pay packets. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Another text from somebody uh, who says uh, if uh, someone uh, wasn't so fussy in Mead, uh, the food bank 
would still be open. Uh, maybe you'd uh, get back to us about that. That's very interesting. I'm not sure uh, what that's about. Uh, Mary wants to know how the government thinks dual usage is a possibility for the D Hotel. How could you have paying customers mingling with asylum seekers? It would be a complete disaster and totally unworkable. Government needs to go back to the drawing board on this one, says Mary. Happens elsewhere. Happens in Dundalk, uh, as uh, the Taoiseach told the doll last week, and in his constituency of Blanchard Sound, we heard Vickers O'Dowd saying that you'd have certain floors in the hotel for asylum seekers, certain ho- floors in the hotel for paid guests, and there wouldn't be any mingling. Uh, it's done elsewhere and ca- could be done, uh, is the argument, I think, Mary. Tommy says dual usage is a terrible idea for the hotel. It makes no sense at all. The building structure itself doesn't suit dual usage. You need a much bigger site and more facilities on site to make dual usage doable. Tommy wonders if there's an element of electioneering going on here to help appease the locals. And if so, it's very unfair on the people of the town. Pat, Pat in Athboy says he's read all of the literature, literature sent out by the government on the upcoming referendums and you'd want to be a solicitor to understand it. Why do they make it all so complicated? Why on earth can they not put things in plain and simple language? The kind of language that we can all understand, says Pat. Liam in touch too, saying he heard on the news this morning that the government is planning to hire 38 people to help simplify the jargon and how government communicates with the public. It might might have been helpful if they thought of that before they sent out the referendum information because it is very confusing in parts. Also, why do they need 38 people to do this? Surely four or five people would be sufficient. It seems at times that this government will find any reason to waste taxpayers' money. Thanks, Liam. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch today. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents which uh, Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Rachel Copperthwaite of uh, the Community Policing Unit in Dundalk joins us for this week's report. And thank you for doing so. We're going to begin in Dundalk and uh, a burglary that uh, occurred in in the town a couple of weeks ago. Good morning, Michael. Yeah, and Guardian Dundalk are investigating a burglary in Piedmont, Jenkinstown County Loud. On Thursday, the 8th of February, between 4 and 6 p.m., a male returned home to find the side door of his house prized open and the house ransacked. A sum of money was taken. If you have any information that may help the investigation, please contact Carlingford Garda Station on 042 93 or the Garda Confidential line on 1800-666-111. So on the same day, the 8th of February, there was an attempted burglary in Ravensdale and you're hoping somebody may be able to help with information about that. That's correct, Michael. Guardian Dramad are investigating an attempted burglary in Lower Ballymacallit, Ravensdale. On Thursday, the 8th of February... Between 6.30 and 6.45pm, an elderly couple heard banging at their back door. They approached the back door and they called out to see who it was, but nobody answered. They then noticed at the top of the door had been prized open. Luckily, the door was locked and no entry was gained. If you have any information that may help with the investigation, please contact Dramad Garda Station on 042 to another burglary then. This happened Saturday week ago, I think. That's correct. 
Gardaí and Dramad are investigating a burglary which occurred on the Grey Acre Road, Newtown Balregan in Dundalk, on Saturday the 17th of February. This lady left her home just before 7pm and returned at 9pm to find the front door prized open and the house ransacked. A sum of money and jewellery with great sentimental value was taken. Again, if you have any information that may help with the investigation, please contact Dramad on 042 or the Garda Confidential line on 1800-666-111. Now, some drain pipes uh, stolen from Louth County Council the weekend before last. That's right, Michael. And Guardian Carlingford are investigating the theft of drainage pipes in Balberti, Riverstown, County Louth. These drainage pipes were being stored at a yard. They were the property of the Louth County Council, which were going to be used to relieve flooding issues for the locals in the area. The pipes were black in colour, six metres in length and two foot in diameter. This crime took place between 6pm on Thursday the 15th and 9am on Friday the 16th of February. Gardaí are interested in speaking with the owner of a white transit van with a large trailer which was in the area at the time. If you believe you may have seen or captured this vehicle on your dash cam footage, please contact Carlingford Garda Station on 042 9373 102. Okay, we uh, go to Dundalk and St. Valentine's Day evening. Early evening, a, a woman was assaulted in the town apparently. Yes, Guardian in Dundalk are investigating the assault of a female in her 30s on Wednesday, the 14th of February, Valentine's Day, just before 6pm. This occurred at the entrance of Woodbury Gardens, Tom Value Avenue, Dundalk. Anyone who may have witnessed the assault or anyone may, who may have dash cam footage of the incident are asked to contact Dundalk Garda Station on 042 9388 400 or again, the Garda Confidential line on 1800-666-111. Okay, uh, some advice, uh, I think, for tradesmen, uh, particularly those uh, who have tools and vehicles following a, a number of thefts in Cavan. That's right. Uh, Guardian Cavan are investigating a number of thefts from vehicles and are appealing for all vehicle owners to ensure that they lock up their vehicle no matter where it is parked, even if it is parked outside your home. Many of these thefts, Michael, are avoidable. And we're going to conclude uh, with a a word of warning about what dangers uh, people face when they're on the internet and online fraud in general. Yeah, there is a huge increase in online fraud and especially in the district of Cavan, um, they're investigating an increase in the reports of online fraud. Gardaí are asking members of the public to always be suspicious of texts, emails and calls asking for any of your personal data or money. Be wary of texts, even if those were in the thread of a previous genuine text from your bank. So even if you've got a text before from your bank and another text comes on to that, just be wary of it. And be wary of of cold calls. If you have any concerns, just hang up. Don't download any apps received in a message. Never click on any links. Never give away any of your personal data and do not transfer any money. If you're unsure, get advice from a trusted person before taking action. And of course, if you have been a victim, 
of online fraud. Make sure to change your passwords and contact your bank ASAP and report it to Gardaí. Thank you very much indeed, Garda Rachel Copperthwaite of uh, the Community Policing Unit in uh, Dundalk Garda Station. Before we go, one last uh, text for today from Mary, who says the information on the referendum is as clear as mud. No wonder the government needs so many people to simplify it. Thank you, Mary. As I say, that has to be the final word. It's all we've time for anyway. Uh, Megan Maguire research today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.